Have you tried every diet out there and none of them seem to stick? Our appetites are a difficult beast to tame. We live in a world filled with easy access to foods that we did not evolve to have easy access to. Instead of sugar being a vital and valuable meal that was difficult for our hunter-gatherer ancestors to find, now we keep it in granulated buckets in our pantry. These are foods we are programmed by evolution to consume greedily, because who knows when we're going to see them again? Is it any wonder that modern Americans have issues with portion control? Well, today's sponsor might just be the thing you're looking for. You've probably seen the commercials, you know the ads, you know what I'm talking about. It's the supernaturally delicious and nutritious trope. That's right, instead of telling yourself no to eating food, have you tried telling yourself yes? Yes to eating people? Or at the very least, the supernatural and spiritual essence of people. It's delicious, I assure you. Also, very low calorie. Don't believe me? A recent study performed by the FDA in conjunction with the Vatican has shown quite conclusively that you can't even burn a soul in a bomb calorimeter. How cool is that? That's like, it doesn't even register on the calorie scale. But that's not all. This trope also has been directly tied to lengthening your lifespan by several centuries. Plus, users report that the debauchery in their life often increases tenfold after their very first dose of people steam. So, you failed other diets. So what? You haven't tried the supernaturally delicious and nutritious trope. For our listeners only, they are offering a special introductory rate. You can get three canisters of unethically harvested soul steam for the low, low price of your immortal soul. Call today! Then takes a drink. The drink takes a drink. And then the drink takes a man. So dad. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season two of Cinema Gush. Cinema Gush. I'm Nick, joined by Mike. <laughs> we made it. We did another season. Uh, we hit over 600, which meant we're going to keep going. That's not true. That was never a thing that we agreed or decided upon. I got my alcoholic otter pop. Brendan's got a margarita. margarita we're ready to be. have. Mm-hmm. We already have Brendan gush, 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 gush about a very interesting movie that I understand a lot of people missed, which is yeah. super, super unfortunate. And we hope that. This will breathe some life into this film and that you will all go check it out. Uh, first, please subscribe to us on whatever app you're using. We really appreciate it. And like us on our Facebook page. And, and then yeah. look at our memes and our posters and stuff. We love posting. We have there. a lot of fun stuff on Facebook. It's a good time. Um, and we should all thank Nick because he does much more work on that than I do. So thank you, Nick, because it is a good job. <laughs> um, oh, it's just fun. I just love it. And thanks for being back. We uh, we missed you in the last couple months, and uh, we're just excited to talk about movies. We, I think we got a good lineup yeah. this season. Looks like some fun things coming down the pike, and uh, can't wait to do it. Absolutely. So, Brendan, if you would please gush to us about the director's cut of Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep, yes. And so I'm glad you distinguished. So we try to start each season. Me and Nick are going to do a movie of our choosing, and... Uh, I always agonize over what to pick, always meaning the last two seasons. Uh, Nick this year is going to be doing his favorite movie, which you'll hear next week. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie, I don't know why this is the one that struck me, other than the fact that the time and the place and the circumstances, and, and like you said, it's a movie a lot of people missed. And we are very clearly talking about the director's cut of Dr. Sleep. Um, Even so, though, it's it was interesting to me to see that, according to a lot of things that I read online, this movie bombed, which blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, really? Like, this one particular... I mean, it's 
the gross was somewhere around 72 million worldwide. I think 31 in the U.S. and they spent about 45 million on it. And it's the sequel to The Dang Shining, which some people consider to be the greatest horror film of all time. Well, to be frank, this is another circumstance, like another movie I considered doing, Blade Runner 2049, a sequel to a mm, Stone yes, Cold yes. classic that bombed, where you look at it and you say, "Don't make that movie." What what are you thinking? Why would you make that movie? There's no reason to make it. Uh, there's there's nothing good can come from it, and in both cases, two stone cold classics that I think I might like better than the original. Oh man, I can't wait to hear more about that. I mean, this was the one that Stephen King wrote, I believe, in 2013. Um, it won a couple of different awards as a novel itself. So, I mean, if you're going to win an award for a novel, of course they're going to make it into a film. And it's Stephen King. It was like the king of box office adaptation. So, of course they were going to make it. But, you know, but I, I get what you're saying. But it's a movie sequel to a movie that came out in the 80s. And, I mean, you can't use any of the original cast. They're either, well, I suppose you could True. use Danny Torrance or what it, well, Lloyd. But I can't think of the actor's name. But he's not really an actor anymore, and although he does have a cameo here in the baseball scene. Um, yes, yes, he does. But this is I, okay. I just, I guess, my point is, if you if you propose on a piece of paper that you're gonna make this movie, I'm gonna tell you that's a bad idea. If you look at me and say, mm-hmm. "Let's make a, co- a sequel to Casablanca," that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. <laughs> you want to make a a sequel to. I don't know, uh, plenty of... Uh, Chinatown. Chinatown. Yeah, I mean... Just don't do it. Uh, we don't need to know what happens after Taxi Driver. It's mm-hmm. it's not necessary. It's probably not a good idea. It's definitely not going to work, except then there are those moments where you just eat your words and you have a freaking damn good movie. And this is a yeah. damn good movie. It's... So... Uh, and again, I, I do want to just say, we're talking about the director's cut. Neither me nor Nick has seen the theatrical cut. And from our mm-hmm. understanding, there is a dramatic difference in quality. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of those movies that really needs room to breathe. The director's cut is about 30 minutes longer, and it's filled with these quiet moments that both let you soak in character and atmosphere. You get to build this sense of dread and this sense of connection. And Okay. All right, all right, all right. So this, <laughs> my favorite kinds of movies are movies that can embrace some silence, right? That can almost just let the audience sit and stew in what they're dishing out. And this movie excels in that. So mm-hmm. I, I guess let's just break down the plot a bit. So The Shining happens. We're going to assume you know the plot of The Shining alcoholic father shows up goes crazy in a hotel takes his family to watch a hotel over the winter goes crazy and tries to kill them all only to be thwarted and freeze to death in a hedge maze and the shining itself is what uh the 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 psychic affinity that these people have uh the the the, there we go the yeah i think that that describes it pretty aptly right yeah yeah so so the the dad tries to kill his wife tries to kill his son this is the son's story 30 years later so the son's a grown up and is, like his father, a raging alcoholic. And it is taking a strong and decidedly negative turn for his life. Um, I don't know of any movie that so 
beautifully captures almost a universal look at addiction, recovery, yes, and uh, just. Would you say alcoholism? Because that speech might be one of my favorite back and forths I've seen in a long time. Which speech? At the AA meeting? No, uh, although that is an amazing speech, and we'll definitely talk about that. Oh. Specifically towards the end at the hotel, talking to Lloyd yes. about medicine Take and your medicine. the ideas behind. Yes. Good. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, uh, you said addiction. And I said alcoholism and other things. Continue. And, and yes, yeah, so it is very specifically alcoholism, but I don't think the movie limits it to alcoholism. I, alcoholism. I think in some regards, we every human being could state they're addicted to something bad for them. Um, it may oh, not be as severe or debilitating, as severe and debilitating as, as, as uh, aggressive alcoholism, but we're all struggling to be good people when we really like things that are bad for us. And things that are so bad for us that it's bad for the people around us. I think that is a universal mm-hmm. human experience. And this movie captures the, 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 the sheer concupiscence of human reality, this desire to do good mm-hmm. when we just keep picking bad, and, and turning to other people for help to become a better person while all these horrifying things are happening around you. And... yeah. So I, we haven't really talked plot, but I, I just I think it's important to know this is the, the the theme that we're going through in this film, and and I don't know many movies that show that struggle and success so beautifully and powerfully, and it, I, I I don't think you have to be an alcoholic to appreciate the universality of the struggle. You know what I'm saying, though? It's 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 a real yeah. Struggle. No, I completely agree. Yeah, and I, you know, just for the record, people, this is a three-hour movie. So again, you should probably just sit down with some alcohol to watch this particular film. I mean, I, <laughs> I have a nice whiskey, which paid off later on in the movie, as it turned out. But and, and I'll give this now because I've been I've been exploding, trying or trying not to explode, saying this for weeks. But I think this is the movie that has converted me to horror. And yes, maybe yes, yes, right. So okay, and 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 people who know me and people who have listened to the show before, you guys know I don't like horror. You know I don't seek it out. You know it's something I'm I'm, I'm interested in at all. I hated the the torture porn stuff of Hostel yep, and yep, the yep, Saw yep. movies and and different things like that and slasher flicks. I just don't care. Um, I would never spend my money on it. But but I think this is the one that generally is going to make me search out horror movies like it. And it's there are definitely frightening moments. There are definitely grotesque moments. But I think, and I had this kind of revelation. Brendan had messaged me earlier and said, there's a scene in this movie that, that, you might be, that you'll probably be shocked by and you won't believe that they went this far. Now, this particular scene we're talking about, and, and, this and will I, should, I will galore. state that yeah. this is one of the only scenes that I saw once, thought it was appropriate for the movie, and I'm not squeamish, but I... I look away in rewatches. I, the, when I rewatch this for the podcast, I did not watch that whole scene. And I, again, I'm not squeamish. For sure, for sure. And this particular scene has to do. We can just say with baseball boy. We can just leave it at that. But well, I think I was. We it, it's. I think it's fair to say, and we've gotten to spoilers. We're talking about violence towards a child. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, there's there's several no-nos within, like, Hollywood as far as things that will automatically get cut. Like, you never want to show violence towards children. You, I mean, but I think it's weird now with it, the way that Game of Thrones became super popular and the way that every streaming service now has to have nudity and insane violence and the rating system has kind of gone away. I kind of don't like that, actually. But for this particular movie, being a director's cut, you kind of can expect anything. So in this particular sequence where a child is killed in a very grotesque and gruesome way, it showed evil for what it was in the sense of the film and how you can't reason with it. You can't take it and put it away. You have to put the ban on it, as they say in Old Testament language. You cannot let something like this stand. And I think that particular mirror on society that this scene showed um, is what converted me to horror in general. I was just like, this is... Because it's what I've been looking for for a long time. Is I... I think in a lot of movies, it's always about converting the bad guy. I think in older Disney, it was, you know, the bad guy dies. Like, that's kind of how you have to have it. But people like to play with the evil magic, and they like to, you know, oh, it's this magic mirror, and it kills everybody, but we'll just put it away at the end of the movie. It's like, no, like, you have to literally destroy things. And sometimes that is in the form of an evil that is so intense and insane that it has to be completely put the ban on it and it cannot be accepted in any way, shape or form. And so because of there, that yeah. scene, which Brendan warned me about, I was like, okay, anything Mike Flanagan does now, I'm going to seek it out. And I've heard amazing things about house mm-hmm. on haunted Hill. Uh, so if I've I... heard great things about, I think it was Oculus too. Was that what he did? Uh, yeah, I'll have to yeah. double check, but um, I'm definitely going to seek out more stuff that he does. And there was a great interview online that we can, I'll post this in the show notes uh, where he and Stephen King are talking in a movie theater and he gets it. Like he gets that horror isn't about jump scares and it's not about grotesque. It's about characters and the truth, like the actual truth of human lows and the addictions and things like that. And I am taking your whole gush away. Please go ahead. No, and take it no, me. I'm so glad. <laughs> Truly. The reason I picked yeah. this movie ultimately is because as you said, nobody saw it. And I wanted to talk about it with you because I thought if I don't make yeah. you watch it, you'll never watch it because nobody's watched it. But I think that's true. Yeah, <laughs> you're on to the, the the crux of this is that, and and evil is presented in such a stark and horrendous way, mm-hmm. and it's undeniable in the court in the scope of this film, right? I mean, nobody's watching this film and and nuancing the evil characters. They are evil. Yes. I, Incredibly so. Which I know is a is, is a is a standard of, of Stephen King's. This is the point where I state that I've never read a Stephen King novel. Although oh, really? I have read Stephen King's autobiography where he talks about his writings theory. Is that on writing? Yeah. And he talks about how, okay. how make your character he he tribes to the, the idea of making characters irredeemably evil. But so you have this evil that is just irrepressible it's 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 overpowering and you but you also have the goodness and i i I think it speaks to uh the world we live in where the evil seems untamable undefeatable but it's only defeated by a good that is in a lot of ways slow and calm and quiet and humble and Mm -hmm. The, the goodness that this movie exudes is not showy. It is self-deprecating. The character is squashing and quelsh- uh, defeating the evil around him by taming himself. 
It's not about yes. bashing down the door of evil with a hammer. It's not about hoorah, there's evil in the world, we must kill it all. It's resisting that evil strongly, but it's doing so through self-mastery and loving of neighbor. And so so this movie, okay, let's just, we, we got we to just go through the plot because to talk about it, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the movie starts, um, effectively, the movie starts a couple of months after the events of The Shining where you see Danny as a boy and he's with his mom and they both have moved to Florida and they're trying to forget about all the events in The Shining when Danny sees the... <laughs> the, the creepy ass disgusting old, woman in the old naked lady. This movie has nudity. Uh, Don't worry, it is not sexual. And I'm pretty At sure all. it's 100 percent fake. <laughs> it's it's grotesque. It, it, it's the same Very. same creepy old lady. It's the exact from the same from The Shining. It's yeah. the exact same. Yeah, go on. And, but yeah, no, he's being haunted by the characters from the from the Overlook Hotel. They have followed him mm-hmm. out. And mm-hmm. and you've got first just as a side note because he's he's helped by the 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 I don't know what his role is in the Shining the caretaker who teaches him about his Shining. Um, you just said I don't know what his role is and then you said the caretaker so I think you must do be know the what caretaker. His role yeah, okay, all right. But I, I do want to state that as far as a movie that came out thirty years later, the casting to replicate actors from thirty years ago yes. was spot freaking on. <laughs> So mm-hmm. spot on. So the ghost of the caretaker who dies in The Shining is helping him learn to control this wonderful shining power, this this psychic abilities that he has as a kid, and and how to basically lock evil up in these boxes in his mind, right? Mm-hmm. And over the course of you jump forward over the course of the thirty years, and you find that the same addictions that haunted his father. Jack Torrance is ha- are haunting Danny Torrance, um, mm-hmm. and and in The Shining, Jack Torrance talks about just. I think at the end of this movie, he even talk he talks about the, uh, just the burden of, of life. Like he just wears you down, mm-hmm. breaks you down, and that alcohol is his way of numbing that right and i guess that's when i talk about we all have ways of numbing the pain right unhealthy ways of numbing the pain things that aren't necessarily unhealthy in and of themselves but we use them in unhealthy ways and that's sure and i mean especially during this particular pandemic um i talked to a lot of friends who their alcohol budget and consumption had gone up in an insane way and they always said the same phrase to take the edge off right always said i'm doing this to take the edge off does that and make alcohol this... evil? No. Does no. It, or any of the things. I mean, sex, drugs, and rock and roll are only evil when we use them to break ourselves, right? Right to to, to not face our demons. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anyways, that's that's his. He, he's a full fledged alcoholic. It is breaking his life down. He's essentially a hobo. Um, you. The, the, there's a scene early on where he is uh, he takes a girl a girl takes him home and uh, he wakes up and is basically taking her money so that he can get a bus fare to get out of town and there's mm-hmm. there's a baby there and he doesn't know what to do so he just puts the baby by the woman as she's sleeping as having vomited all over the bed and leaves with the money um it, Up until this point, I will say, folks, I am I'm halfway through this book, Andrew. So, I, <laughs> so you, I have to say, yes, this, we've read a yes. portion of <laughs> well, a halfway movie through. Based on halfway a book. through, 
But yeah, this the King's writing, and I, I've read about seven or eight of his books at this point, and mm-hmm. his writing is so insanely good in this book. If you haven't read Doctor Sleep, um, and I haven't finished it, I'm assuming it's gonna be a lot like the movie. Um, there's a, like key differences, like in the book, The Shining, you know, in The Shining. Um, the Overlook burns down. And in the movie, the Overlook obviously didn't burn down because they're adapting from The Shining the movie, not The Shining the book. And so... Um, Which Bear is talking about. We'll have to talk about that yeah. too. Absolutely. But I bring it up just to say, like, in this chapter where you see Danny, who, as a child, he's learned to control putting in these ghosts in boxes. But as an adult, that particular burden has made him all about alcohol and just like his father. And he has this chance to, to not rob this lady and this toddler. And the way it's written in the book is the exact same way you see it on the movie. And it is so insanely well written. I'm just like, dang it. Now I see why everybody loves Stephen King. Or at least my, <laughs> my fellow readers do. So, um, and then he steals from this woman, despite the fact that, uh, the old caretaker tries to stop him. He's also a ghost that is never put in a box, thankfully. And, um, nope, he takes it and he takes a bus out of town. Yeah. And, and it, they, they make the character sympathetic, right? Because it's not that you don't hate him for this, but you just, you're like, you don't want him to do it at the same time. It's, it's not like you think he's doing the right thing. You see where he's coming from. He needs money. She probably took some of his money already, but she's got a baby. It's, it, it, the, the, the story is asking this character to, to, to a certain degree to go a little bit beyond for somebody else, and he chooses not to. Um, and it ends up just just wrecking him because we learn later mm-hmm. through his shining that the woman died and the baby was left alone and died as well. Um, which is the rock bottom moment for our character who then turns around to seek help in a new town with a new person through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I think it's worth noting that the Stephen King clearly struggled with addiction and that uh, The Shining mm-hmm. was written as his way of exploring that struggle through addiction. Um, and that the, the Dr. Sleep was a, a novel that he wrote to, to see what would happen if the character from The Shining had found help and had worked through the addiction. And, and I love that. I, I love watching... I love the idea of two stories that focus on the same thing from different perspectives. So you get a story from right. a man who's struggling actively at the moment and a man who's on the other side. And I'm talking Stephen King is the writer here pouring into the book. Um, <clears throat> I, I, you brought up that uh, the Overlook Hotel burns down in the Shining novel and it doesn't in the movie. One of the main right and Doctor Sleep. There's like a they they fight where the at the very end it's where the the hotel was. Sorry, keep going. Right. I mean, to jump ahead. The ending of this movie is essentially the ending of the the novel Shining. The the burns down. Um, I I find it. Flanagan, the director, did just a spectacular job of threading the needle between two stories that are pretty different. Uh, Stephen King is notoriously, uh, notoriously disliked The Shining that Stanley Kubrick directed, and mm-hmm. but Flanagan understands that the average person, you bring up The Shining, people don't think Stephen King, they think Stanley Kubrick. So you got to make right. a sequel to that movie, while capturing the essence of a novel that is following up a book that is considerably different than the movie everybody knows. A task, if you will. <laughs> a task. Yet another reason to look at this man and say, don't make this movie. 
This can't end well. And I'm so right. glad you I, wouldn't listen to me. When If you would have asked me, I would have told you not to make this movie. And I'm so glad that you didn't ask me because it's a damn good movie. <laughs> yep, a task that he ended up directing and writing and editing for that matter. I didn't know he was editor too. That's that's incredible. <laughs> that's crazy. So yeah, so I mean, and the thing is, and this is where, so I, I, I watched this with my dad and we started the movie and I didn't realize until about 20 minutes in that we were watching by mistake the theatrical cut. And wait a minute, was this the one that you saw in theaters or was this the one you got from Xbox? I never saw this in theaters. Oh, you never saw. Okay, so no. okay, gotcha. So, you, no. so I've got never the seen the director's cut. cut. I, I mean, I've never seen the theatrical or, cut. Theater, I yeah. bought it for the director's cut, hearing that it was the, the by far the superior version. And again, I've never mm-hmm. watched it all the way through. I got twenty minutes into the theatrical cut, and several key scenes were missing. And I thought, no, we can't. This this cannot stand. <laughs> this can't happen. <laughs> so we switched. And again, having not seen all the way through the theatrical cut, I can say just those one or two scenes really lets you soak in the characters and the burdens they're carrying. Um, the, the first 20 minutes of the theatrical cut felt more rushed. So do yourself a favor. If you're going to watch this movie, take the time to find the director's cut so that you can mm-hmm. connect with these characters the way they were meant to be. Uh, it's, it's a stunning work of filmmaking. And don't be intimidated by a three-hour movie. Justice League was just four hours, and a whole bunch of you watched it. You guys binge series. Okay, okay, okay. Like I don't want to see our, I don't it's, want to hear it. All it's right. also got nice chapter breaks. You can stop. At, it's, yes, it's it does. Six <laughs> chapter breaks. You can stop after chapter three, and that's a beautiful turning point in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. it, it breaks into two parts very nicely. Um, so yeah. So okay. So that's that's the main character. At the same time, there's the bad guys. The bad guys who are. Uh, some of my favorite villains in recent memory. Oh yeah. The, uh, the knot, the true knot. Yeah. The true knot. Thank you. Uh, Rose, the hat played by Rebecca Ferguson, who you would know from the new mission impossible movies. Excellent actor. Amazing in this movie. Yeah. No, she's spectacular. She's terrifying. Um, Mm -hmm. her partner, I can't think of his name. Crow daddy. Crow daddy. I, yeah. Yeah. Crow daddy spectacular all the characters a lot of them don't get a lot of screen time but the little moments they're in are just all excellent um the mm-hmm. uh the tall actor from twin peaks who oh uh, he's so Carol good struck in grandpa flick right yeah he's so so the, the the premise of these characters are that they are ancient hundreds to thousands of years old and they have maintained these lives by essentially feeding off the psychic energy of of people they they, they consume they are that and, that and i and i love that as a notion of evil evil consumes right it mm-hmm. it takes it doesn't give it's just it consumes what comes to it it just takes in and and defecates out um yeah and these characters have survived for eons by doing that um and 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 we say that they're like profoundly evil, but I think it's worth noticing n- noting that they are realistically evil too. Yeah, they are not. It's it's they're not Machiavellian. Uh, they're not James Twisting Bond mustache. villains, right? <laughs> yeah, right. They're like world domination. They're they're evil in such survival. a way that survival. That's pretty much it. Yeah, they're evil in a profound way, but they're evil in a way that I feel like we could all go. 
were we to choose ourselves just a couple times more often than we should. Yeah. Um, and so they're rampaging across America, eating people. It's very QAnon. Um, was it specifically? Was it specifically people who showed the ability of the shining? I think that was yeah. Because yeah. I know when the one girl came up, because they, they, there's one point where they do convert a girl rather than um, take the essence of her mm-hmm. and kill her that way, and she ends up becoming part of the clan, as it were, traveling around the country and eating well, as it were. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, and, and then we kind of cut, yeah. And well, they they know that the world is less magical. It's more everybody's a little bit more bored and zoned out and dull. So there's less for them to eat. The, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So. To juxtapose all of that is the character Abra, who is one of my favorite characters in recent memory. Yeah. I love her so much. This this little girl. It, start, it starts as a little girl, which I think is not in the theatrical cut, because I, I remember missing that when watching it with my dad. Oh, yeah. But she's a kid. She's just, you follow, the, there's a time jump of about eight years in the middle of the movie where you have, you have uh, Danny Torrance, Ewan McGregor's character at his lowest point. He joins AA, and then you jump about eight years into the future. And you see On the day, he gets his eight-year token. His eight-year token, yeah, which I think is just a great moment. It's just reflecting on lineage and family and history and celebrating his sobriety. And, and at the same time, you see this little girl, Abra, who clearly has these psychic powers and, and then some, going from this, this cute little eight-year-old girl to teenage years and... Mm-hmm. And she's connecting with uh, Danny Torrance's character, um, whom. So in I, I do know this because I've looked up differences between the theatrical cut and the director's cut. So Danny Torrance, as an adult, is working in hospice care, and is because he's psychic. He is basically easing people as they die, transitioning into the afterlife, and. There's only Earns one the scene of that. Sleep. There's only one scene of that in the theatrical cut, and there's two in the director's cut. And I don't know how you could watch the theatrical cut ever, knowing that the, uh, mm-hmm. one of those scenes is cut because they're two of the most beautiful scenes I think in filmmaking history. They're oh, absolutely. People on their deathbed, and and I I just love the the tenderness and compassion in which Ewan McGregor plays the character as he is. He is helping these people move on in a. Uh, what do you think of those talking scenes? Talking them to sleep. I, oh yeah. my gosh, I loved it because, you know, the one the one guy especially was just like, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid that there will be nothing. And he and he assures him, we don't end. We Such go on. Such a beautiful yeah. like sentiment to say, we we go on, we don't end. And and he gives them these people like they're so real quick. There's a cat that walks around the hospice, and this is based off a real thing, by the way. Is this cat? Um, goes and sits on the bed of the person who's going to die next. It's just their time. It's something that the people in the hospice care know. When the cat sits on your bed, you're about to go. And he, you know, Ian McGregor kind of follows the cat in there to the various rooms when this happens. And he'll pull a memory from their mind and he will talk them into essentially death. And it's beautiful, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from King, although Shawshank and Green Mile are both wonderful. But you wouldn't expect something so delicate. I, I think from and horror, I, say, I think King captures this more often than most people. But from horror, you don't expect these moments. Yeah, not at all. Definitely, it won't, I, in my opinion, Elon Rigger's best film. I mean, don't get me wrong. Attack of the Clones is great. All right? <laughs> this is probably his best 
better than Moulin Rouge, better than Train Spotting, which was very just okay, aggressively fine, as Brendan would say. <laughs> uh, but it, it's this one. It is this one, and you will be convinced by the time he gives the eight year speech with the token. That's the that eight year speech. It's what I'm saying. It's what I'm saying. Yeah, and and just a man who and and, and that's the the key to his sobriety is not critting his teeth and powering through it. It's about embracing what he's good at and mm-hmm. doing it to help others. And he is helping others. So, so, I mean, I don't think any of us would like to be really good at death. But he's a man who, through no choice of his own, has a connection to death, an insight to death that nobody else has, and he is helping mm-hmm. other people meet death with grace and simplicity and and through that overcomes his own inner demons and i just i love that i love that that's that's the that's the solution to our demons mm-hmm. it's helping Absolutely others it's yeah. loving others um and they're he great does it so well yeah yeah no i mean truly at this point i want ewan mcgregor to watch me die it'd be great <laughs> <laughs> i have the high ground all right <laughs> i loved you anakin <laughs> <laughs> uh, so meanwhile he's helping these people he's working in hospice and then you kind of that's when the crossover kind of occurs where he mm-hmm. is reaching out to uh, Abra who's like his kind of you know shining pen pal except she's like insanely good and has with the shining and uh, he has a, a whiteboard that she like writes hello to him on and he writes back to her and um, we cut to eight years later specifically because that's when the true knot kills this poor little boy and again, I've already, ta- we already, I've already talked about the scene. Brendan, you it's want to brutal. talk more about that scene? I mean, it, it's <laughs> yeah, brutal. It's a-, it's a brutal scene. But it's, it's- necessarily brutal. Um, you, as you said, this is, this is a, it's a horror movie. And I don't think we should beat around the bush that it is a horror movie. It is not a... There are some imagery and things in the movie that are rough and not pleasant. And, and I totally understand that many people don't like horror movies. But this is what horror should do. It should take the darkness and use it to illuminate the light and get through the, the awful, get, get through the awful scene with baseball boy because it's worth it. You Mm -hmm. need to have this scene to understand the stakes. Um, Mm -hmm. look away. If you have to, I don't, I give you permission. You know, what's happening. There is no question what's happening. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of what brings in, the big catalyst for at least our character, Danny is Abra is so affected by watching baseball boys death that she screams, the blackboard cracks and the word red rum from the shining appears, which of course backwards is murder. And that starts the whole new catalyst of the movie. Yeah. Because this little girl who, again, how old do you think she's supposed to be? I was thinking 15, 16, but maybe even younger. Yeah, I think she, I think it was eighth grade, maybe going to freshman was my impression that I got. Oh, okay, hold on. The uh, actress herself could, is think, fifteen now, so she has to be younger. Two years ago, so she so probably like, like eleven or ten, maybe twelve. <laughs> yeah, something in there. So Kylie Curran, Curran, I think is the actress, and it should be noted she hasn't done much, but she is really incredible. I mean, she carries a movie that is very big for an actress of that age to carry. Hmm. Um. But she wants to do the right thing. She wants to stop this group of maniac murderers trouncing around the country, killing people. And she turns to the only person who can help her, which is Danny Torrance. And he, understandably, does not want to because it's scary. And he's got a good thing going. And he's 
he's turned his life around, and the last thing you really want to do when you turn your life around is go hunt down homicidal maniacs. Mm-hmm. And and to be be clear, I'm not encouraging any good people listening to this podcast that it's their job to hunt down homicidal maniacs. But in the context of this story, <laughs> he and she are the only ones who can do it. Right, and and you get you get the impression of so you not only get the stakes of this is what could happen to literally anybody, you also get from her scream reaction that cracks the blackboard. Rose the hat detects that energy. And spins around over the solar. So now we know, and she knows that there's somebody out there who's going to make a wild feast for these crazy people. So as an audience member, you're like, oh gosh, they're coming for her next. She literally knows about her. And so Abra's reaching out for help from Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, he's reluctant, but eventually circumstances play out that he decides to help her, which means doing some difficult things. Um, one of the benefits of making, and this is where I, I, I do agree, I, 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 sorry, let me start over. I don't think every villain needs to be objectively evil in every, into their core. But one of the benefits you get when Stephen King makes a villain who is just irredeemably evil is you can really enjoy the comeuppance once it comes. Oh my gosh, I'm glad you brought that up because that's that was one thing about this movie that I feel like you don't get a lot in the horror movies that I've been forced to watch. You, you get the characters who never get a little victory. They never get a little win. It's just nonstop. They're getting their butts kicked and then they all die kind of a thing. Yeah. The fact that Abra is able to fight back and we actually get to watch Rose, like especially in the grocery store. And then later on when Rose, like comes into Abra's dreams or in her mind, as it were, like to watch the good guys win a little bit is so gratifying after watching something so insanely horrible happen to somebody. So so again, I watched this with my father and he had a really interesting observation that this movie to a certain degree reminded him of superhero movies because you're watching a character with superpowers essentially fight evil in a very yeah. down to earth way. I, I, I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it, you get to revel in this little girl using her powers to do something good to defeat evil. And you don't have to feel bad about the fact that they're, they get to enjoy defeating evil. Right. Because if when your evil mm-hmm. characters are nuanced, you want to redeem them. When your evil characters are these people, it's never going to happen. They need to go. Um, I, and, and I would totally agree. And I will say your dad's observation was exactly what I saw when I looked it up on the Reddit conversations. One guy very specifically said, I really enjoyed the horror take on X-Men. I thought it was extremely well done. <laughs> <laughs> so they, what was the, the X-Men movie that came out last year? Well, that was a horror take on X-Men. That everybody remembers. Dark Phoenix? Dark nope, Phoenix? Nope, nope. There's uh, those, um... Second Class? <laughs> yeah. Clearly it made a Third big impression. Class. <laughs> everybody liked it. It was really... Disney in no way shuffled it to the back of the release schedule and just farted it out at the beginning of a pandemic. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, I mean, there is an element of the superhero. It's... it's And, and, and I, I feel like... Uh, Abra's character is a little bit of a superhero origin story where where uh, an old, wise Obi-Wan character, played by an actor who is Obi-Wan, guides her through the use of her powers to do good. Um, but that said, things go to hell very quickly. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they basically know that the True Knot is coming to eat her. 
and they stage an elaborate counter-strike that works very well to defeat many of those characters, except also defeating pretty much all of the good guys, except Ewan McGregor and Avra. Yeah, I mean, I had to I had to pause for just a second because I was trying to think, like, that superhero comment is so interesting because I think nowadays we're just so attuned to go to the superhero, like, flick or the superhero character. And it's actually a struggle to, like, try to find a movie that doesn't have some sort of super heroic element in it or even a show these days. Um, I just, I think that was such a great observation. I was just really stuck on that note. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I yeah, know. And, and I think it should be noted, my dad doesn't really like superhero movies, but he seemed to really enjoy this one. Um, Does your dad like horror? Is that is that, is that something that he no, enjoys I, with you? No, this no? has been this has been a year of convincing my father to sit down and watch this movie with me because I knew. And he had would he like seen it. The Shining? Or he had seen The Shining. See, okay, we didn't watch a lot of classic movies growing up, and then we didn't either. So when I got out of the house, it was like catch up time, right? And, <laughs> and so I I watched it, but one of the things I have will say that since leaving the house and in the age of Netflix. My dad has developed just a really great taste in film. <laughs> I don't know if he realizes it as much as he has, but man, I always I want to know what he's watching because he's watching some good stuff. And so he had seen The Shining gonna... on his own initiative, <laughs> yeah. which is doesn't make any sense to me as the kid who grew up with him. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put it's catch up time on a t-shirt, by the way. That's that's amazing. <laughs> it was movie catch up time, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm, so you had similar experience, I assume. Oh my gosh, certainly. Like my I, I can I can promise my parents who don't listen to this podcast, I can promise that they would not <laughs> seek this kind of thing out. And my mom calls me Hi mom. My mom calls me after just about every movie she goes to see in theaters, and she'll say, It was interesting. Which means it wasn't good. Right, so I, right. I've, I've, I've learned through life that when my mom says it's interesting, I'll say what wasn't good about it. And she's like, well, it wasn't bad. It was just, it was interesting. And then through the conversation, I'll learn just how not good it was. How not, sure. My mom's also one, yeah, I mean, she's one of those folks too who is, has never been afraid to walk out of a film. Um, I've only ever walked out of one. I think she's walked out of at least 30. So um, definitely not one to stick it the whole way through, which... The older I get, the more I learn about writing and the more movies I see. It makes almost no sense because you don't give the characters a chance to redeem themselves. You just yeah. kind of see, like, the pig in the mud the whole time sure, and sure, you don't see sure. them get clean. Um, Have I told my walk out of a movie story on this podcast yet? What was the movie? Uh, Sin City. No. What? So You walked out of Sin City? Yeah. So, okay. Hi, Mom and Dad. I think there's a decent chance that Dad's listening to this since we watched it together. So uh, <laughs> I think I've told you the story. So so now you're going to hear it with the public. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I enjoyed Sin City quite a bit. But uh, it was right after. So Sin City came out right after there was that huge backlash about Kill Bill because it was so violent and, you know, was, everybody got angry about it. And how could this be allowed to be? It was oh, a Tarantino yeah. movie, right? And they're surprised Tarantino made a Tarantino movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was a huge backlash against Kill Bill because it was breaking American society. And so I got permission from my parents to go see Sin City, which is a big deal because you had to really work on them to go see R-rated movies. I was 16 no, or 17 at the time, something mm-hmm. like that. So I still had to I – was, I was a kid. And uh, there comes the point in the movie where, uh, where um, – Elijah Wood's character is eating people. And and it occurs to me that, oh, this movie's going to get a lot of blowback flack. Like, a lot of people are going to be mad about this movie. This is, it's Sin City. It's all about the depravity of humanity. If 
if I walk out of this movie and tell my parents that I, I used my moral judgment to determine this movie was not appropriate for consumption, they'll trust me to go to whatever R-rated movies I want to for the rest of my oh, life. Oh, boy. All comes out. Here we go. Yep. I was being manipulative. <laughs> but to be fair, I was also a very boring child, and I have now told you the only time in my childhood that I was being manipulative in that manner. Um, so, yeah, Dad, I'm, So I'm uh, all the, the moral posturing and virtue signaling I gave after walking out of Sin City was all a bunch of crock and I'm an asshole and I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, I, I found I have tried to take that high road several times where I've been like, oh, I just really didn't enjoy it because of, you know, X, this sin was shown. And it was like, but no, it was actually quite good. So that works for me. <laughs> uh, as a side note, I really like Kill Bill. Uh, <laughs> Kill Bill was the movie that got me to want to be a screenwriter, actually. Really? Really? Because I hated it so much. Oh, really? Interesting. Ooh, ooh. Yeah. They so... said you should never start from spite, and I totally started from spite. So there it is. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> so, so this might be on a list of something you have to say nice about something nice about in the future. Yes. Oh my gosh! It absolutely. I'll make sure it's on the next week's one for sure. <laughs> good. 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 Uh, yeah. So we 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 got way off, which is exactly where I want to be. Um, but to bring it back, we, you know, Abra has the sequence where she fights Rose. Would you, was it in her, like, in a dream? Or so was she fights her in the dream like, in the first place. That's where they find her, and then they go to get her. So basically they lose in the forest. There's a shootout in a forest. A bunch of people die. Abra's dad is killed, um, and she's kidnapped and drugged, so she can't use her powers. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this moment because because we see – what we see in this moment is we see Danny Torrance's character once again reach his lowest point and have – he's presented with the opportunity to make the wrong choice again and to, to think of himself and not to do, do the thing for another person. And the temptation is strong and you wouldn't blame him for indulging it. And he is mm-hmm. given the opportunity to make the right choice. And I, I love I love the, the – the, the the symmetry of that because that's when he gets to start to be a badass essentially um yeah man yeah and and so he i i don't know i i we, we spoil all our movies and yet i'm still sitting here like i shouldn't spoil this movie because i want people to enjoy it. i want people to watch this movie <laughs> Especially the part with uh, Billy, you know, the fact that um, the friend who Danny relied on who first got him to, you know, get the job and have a place to stay, like he ends, up, to ends up telling him the entire story and he's like, okay, I'm in. Like, I'm here to help. You got it. Yeah. And there's a moment where he looks at him and says that, uh, I, I, I hope you're wrong because that would just mean you're crazy and I can deal with crazy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Oh my goodness! And and Danny's like, yeah, I get it. I wish I was wrong too. I mean, I I, I love that moment. That's such a great character moment. I, I yeah. If you're crazy, mm-hmm. I can love you into into it through that. But if you're right, then yeah. I'm scared. You're right, and he gets his you know, and they they end up finding you know baseball boy, and they go to um they go to dig him up, which proves to to Billy that it's actually real, and they have this great little back and forth where Billy says the people who did that, Dan says they aren't people, and Billy says, No, no, they aren't. Anyone who did it to a little boy, they're not people. Yeah. But they're coming, and it's like they are on their way for to Abra. You know that's coming next. Yeah. So the the shootouts happen, Abra gets kidnapped, uh Danny rescues her through some some psychic shining badassery. 
Um, so cocky, wouldn't wear a seatbelt. Oh, so good. It's great. It's <laughs> so great. So good. And I'm going to just, yeah, go watch. It's a great scene. And, and you, yeah. So this is where I, I feel, I, this is what I have heard, again, having not seen the theatrical cut, I went right to the director's cut, is that the ending, they end up going to the Overlook Hotel because Danny believes this is a place where the veil between the living and the spiritual world is thin. And that it would be as dangerous for the the villain, Rose at this point is the only one left, as Mm -hmm. it would be for them. Um, In the theatrical cut, my understanding is this feels kind of rushed. Like, the movie doesn't have enough room to breathe. Whereas in the director's cut, this seems like a scary build-up to me. To me, it seems like you've been going through this whole thing. and, And yes, they had this major victory against all these characters, but now Rose has all the psychic energy in the world all to herself. And she's coming to kill them and eat them. And they end up going to the Overlook Hotel, which is both a thematic buildup and just a nostalgic treat and a half. Because the love they put into that set. That set, man. I mean, what was it, three it years was, ago? I thought, I thought, yeah, it was dead on. Like, I, I but, genuinely thought they, they kept the sets or something. I was like, how the heck does this look so well, dang exact? But three years ago, Steven Spielberg remade a large portion of The Shining for um, uh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One? Yeah, and yeah. And it was great. It was great. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was great. But this is better. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they, they got the, the set schematics and designs from the Kubrick estate and lovingly rebuilt that entire damn thing and it's so delicious <laughs> it's it's right that carpet is so like in your mind when you think of the shining so much of the to the point that i don't know if you knew this but that movie you just watched was it the millers versus the machines yeah yeah we'll, we'll, we'll bring up later Mi- mitchell's versus machines mitchell's versus machine yeah the mom her socks are the carpet of the oh, floor of the Overlook Hotel. I, I've seen yeah. the floor of the Overlook Hotel show up everywhere. As far as as film patterns, it's like the Overlook Hotel's carpet and then the, the curtains and floor from Twin Peaks. And those there are the you patterns go. you see everywhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's it's just, it's great. And and it looks like they're right there. Speaking of which, the, you know the road they drive up is the going to Sun Road from Glacier National Park? Oh, I didn't know that. How about yeah. that? Yeah, they fly over Goose Island, which is up near where I live, and uh, it's 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 great. So yeah, so one of the shots I read on the trivia from IMDb, they actually took a shot from The Shining, of the car driving up going to the Sun Road and Glacier, and they degrained it, added snow, and made it nighttime. Oh my gosh, I can totally see that now. Yeah, it's the same now old shot. That. So they get oh. to Overlook Hotel, and and so. This is where I feel like if you rush to the Overlook Hotel, it would feel almost um, gimmicky. Is gimmicky. I think it would feel gimmicky. And to me, with this extra time, I, I, I don't know about you, but it didn't feel gimmicky at all to me. Yeah, I mean, I, there were moments. There's moments when you look at the script, which is awesome to read and, and to study, which I'll talk about more in a little bit. But there are moments in this movie where you think that they might do the um, – what's that thing Morty said in Rick and Morty? When he reads the alien screenplay and he's just like, I want my stories to start where my stories are. I don't want to cut to two weeks earlier. Like, they could have very well done that with this movie. They could have started with him walking around the Overlook Hotel and then cut to eight years earlier or some crap like that. Sure, like, there sure. were opportunities to do that all over the place. And this movie, you – like, the red rum thing, like, that's, like, the first, like, real kind of tisp of nostalgia that you get. But then when you're actually in the hotel, like, it's earned. Like, it's not just – 
uh, trailer moments, I suppose. It's not just that or like teaser mm-hmm. moments. Like it's the actual like we've earned getting here. Right, right. And it'd been so easy to not earn it, right? It, it, people would have even forgiven him just for the gimmick of it. I mean, that is mm-hmm. the Ready Player One scene, essentially. It's the gimmick of showing the Overlook Hotel again. Yep, Which absolutely. was fun. Arguably the most fun in the movie. But forgettable in Ready Player One. Um, much like the movie. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Much Sorry, like positive. Positive show. Positive. Positive. There we go. <laughs> I, I actually, I think it's a good movie. I think it's a forgettable movie. It's 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 not going to go down as Steven, Steven Spielberg, who I do believe is the best director of all time. Um, I, oh. it, that's not going to be his top list um sure but it there is a weight to it you feel like you're you're going back to a character you feel like you're going back to the villain of the shining and so there's the having the good guys go to it as a last resort makes the villain chasing them seem scarier makes you scared for them because they are choosing to go to this thing that just destroyed danny torrance's life um and and it's all this build up to what could be just this overwhelming horror and what do we get but a quiet introspective character moment that to me is just one of the most powerful scenes in the last couple of years my goodness folks i mean i don't again this is why i'm sure i'm sure this is in the theatrical cut maybe i guess but like i think less it's shorter yeah but i i mean in, in the script, there's a sequence where, for those of you who, who, who know The Shining, when uh, Jack sees the bartender, Lloyd, and they have this conversation. Well, when Jack has Famously died in the played Shining, by Moe Sislak in The Simpsons. <laughs> That's right. I almost, I almost referenced the whole no TV, no beer thing when you were giving me the, the, uh, the summary of The Shining. I thought, like, no, it's not that time. But no, it's that time. Yeah, um, I, I was script, too it says, Go ahead. No, it's all good. In the script, it says, revealing the bartender, it is Jack Torrance, 40s, dressed sharply, that same red, red tuxedo, the same black bow tie that Lloyd wore. He is part of the staff now. Yeah. And it's not Jack Nicholson de-aged or whatever. They got a different actor who who held the mannerisms. and He was Jack Torrance, he, though, within about 10 seconds of uh, on screen. He, 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 he pulled it off. Yeah, like, you're not saying they're like, okay, who's this person supposed to be? Like, you don't... And I've only seen The Shining one time, thank you, J. Ryan, but um, you know exactly who that is. Because literally, when he hands in the drink, he says... uh, Oh, the bartender says, on the house. And he says, thanks, Dad. And the whole time, you get the impression that, you know, Jack, it isn't him. It's just like, as if the hotel is using his spirit or something. Because he keeps saying, like, I'm afraid you've confused me with someone else. I'm just Lloyd. I'm not sure where everyone is. It'll pick up. Um, he, he keeps giving off the impression that it's literally just but, a face. But Danny doesn't give him an out, right? He keeps he rejecting does. it. <laughs> he's uh, having he's this like, moment with his father. Don't you want to hear about it? Yeah. Oh. You, don't you want to hear what happened to your wife? Don't you want to hear what I went through? And, and, and it's never accusatory. It's, ne- it's not. Because, and that, that's the thing, is Jack Torrance was not an irredeemable evil. He was not the true not he is a man who was weak and let that weakness destroy him and we see his son facing him who had the same weakness and overcame it and i just man it's so good it's just so good it is like to me it is like the the scene like it's just between the what happened with Baseball Boy and that sequence, that that's what converted me over. And now I'm like actively looking for like great horror movies. So we'll definitely take your recommendations cool. on Facebook. Um, 
I should point out also that the caretaker says in the very beginning of the movie when Danny's a little boy that you know your father wasn't evil. You know it was the hotel that did him in. But what Brennan is saying is dead on too. It was the weakness that he couldn't possibly overcome. And what does that do to him? It absorbs. He gets absorbed by evil. Effectively yeah. is what happened by not being able to overcome what occurred to him. With, and the, with things, the alcoholism and yeah, the things that he says to him. It's like. He talks about the weight of the world breaking a man down, and everything Dan Torrance Tor- says is about me. It broke me down. I couldn't, I was, it was just too unfair, and it was I and me and I and me. And it comes back to 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 his son who's talking about his mother and and all these other people. And, 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 and so Jack Torrance. And if there's ever a chance. I'm sorry, drink, I got him backwards. Like, Jack Torrance versus Dan yeah, Torrance. But Jack Torrance. Yeah failed because he was involved in himself and is unable to turn out to this family that was with him. And Danny Torrance succeeds because he got help from the people around him. He leaned on these people and through that was able to give back to the world. I, I, it's the juxtaposition that, that, that evil is self-consuming. You turn in on yourself and that's what lost him to the hotel. But mm-hmm. Danny overcomes it because he is giving of himself. Yeah, and ever if there was ever a time for Danny to break his eight years of sobriety, it was the moment because he's holding the glass. He's holding yeah. the Jack Daniels, which is what his father's drink was, even though his was bourbon. And there's that moment where Danny says, I want to get this dead on. Dan says, man takes a drink. The drink takes a man. Then the drink takes the man. Ain't it so, Dad? I wonder, frankly, what our lives would have been, what our family would have been without this. And then Jack says medicine, and that's when he changes from – not just being the bartender of the hotel, but his father. Yeah. And you get this you get this speech that I genuinely think I've heard men say about having a family, and it, it kills you as you're hearing it because it's so evil and it's the most selfish thing. But it's so seductive but, too. And you get you get how someone can feel that way. So, and again, yeah. I, I, so this is, I won't read, I, I could read this whole thing because I have the script right here, but folks, like, this sequence is insanely good. It's one of the, uh, and I it could, takes, I about this. it takes yeah. two and a half hours to get there, and this is one of those movies that it's worth it. We talked in yeah. a previous podcast about setups and payoffs. This is a 30 year setup with an emotional payoff that I never knew I needed, and I'm so glad I have. Yeah, same man, same. It's, yeah, I think with a scene like that just hits you so well in the heart that you, as an audience member, are like, I'm going to be better. Right. I'm going to be better than Jack, dang it. And isn't like, that oh what you want coming out of a movie? Yeah. A, a, a truly <sighs> horrifying movie. Yeah, something I would never in a million years have expected from a horror film that has a grotesque 80-year-old nude woman with, like, horrible things and, and a boy who gets who essentially gets, like, cut open with a knife and blood splattering like crazy, like, all that stuff. Holy crap, like, I wasn't expecting it either. And then, but there it is, like, there's the there's the mirror, as it were, you know, where, where you're being shown a mirror of, like, the, the absolute worst parts of society. There it is, and, yeah, there, oh, gosh, there it is. It's great. And then some so other the things movie, happen, the, the bad guys defeated, <laughs> and, and... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even want to say that it's worth skipping over. Part of me just wants against wants you to watch the movie, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but that that to me is the climax. The climax of the movie is right there because then you know he's going to defeat the bad guys. He's got it. He's 
he's rejected the temptation. He's rejected his selfishness. And the final acts are all just uh, a, a visual playoff of his selflessness. I, I don't, do you want to go into any more than that? Or I like, I feel like we've gotten there. Let's just let people watch it now. Yeah. I mean like there's, there's a great, there's more nostalgic payoff as Rose and Danny have their final showdown. Um, where he, I'll just, the line that he says is you don't know where you're standing and that just changes the whole rest <laughs> of the film. So, um, and there's like, there's a, there's a very genuinely good, nice ending. You know, the hero gets away and, and all those things that you would come to expect from, you know, movies and and, and good escapism. And so uh, if you want a film that's like a five course meal, like this is it. Okay. Like if you're done with, if you want to take a break from popcorn and nonstop saves the cat, you know, kind of hero's journey stuff, like like check this one out. It's yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd say. I I adore this movie. I, so let's talk about the first time I saw this movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So was it the theater in Helena or no, it was not in theaters. It was, uh, no, it wasn't that's right. Yeah. It was uh, two, three days after my son was born in April, right. As the pandemic breaks out, um, he was having major respiratory issues. He was in the hospital for about two weeks and I could see him very, very sporadically because coming and going in the hospital during COVID was not good. And <laughs> it continues to be not good. It continues yeah. to be not good. <laughs> and and so my kids are stressed because they can't see their mom. They saw, I think, over that first week that Galen, my youngest son, was born, they saw their mom for maybe 45 minutes. Um, I was a single dad for a week, and I was genuinely scared for the well-being of my youngest. Um, and the world is falling apart, and everybody's angry and yelling about everything, and... <laughs> Yeah, it, it was one of the hardest weeks of my life, to be quite frank. Sure. Yeah, and man. my wife asked me, what are you going to do when you get home? And let me tell you, I wanted to do everything bad for me, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. those are the moments where you want to do the things that are bad for you. And I told myself, no, when you want to do bad things for you, you turn on a movie that you haven't seen, that you've heard good things about. Because you always feel better about life when you watch a movie that you haven't seen, that you've heard good things about. And I turned on Dr. Sleep. And to be frank, by the end of the movie, I was weeping. It was Mm -hmm. what I needed, when I needed it. It was, I was watching it downstairs in our living room. And we've got got the special LED lighting. So I turned it on in dark red. And so it was this red mood lighting. And I turned it on thinking, I'll watch half of it. I bought it because... That's unfortunately we're telling you to watch a director's cut that's hard to find for rental, so you may have to buy it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I bought it, and I sat down and I watched it, thinking I'd do it in two parts, and it just three hours fly by. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I. It was. I. You have those movie going experiences, and and it's very easy to have those moments in theaters that you remember for the rest of your life. Very rarely do I remember when and where I was sitting in my living room for first. I'll remember the movie, but I don't necessarily remember the the couch experience. It's my living room. Mm-hmm. I that was a that was a important movie watching moment for me. Yeah, so. man. So thanks and for I letting me share. It. Yeah, dude. Like, I mean, thank you for sharing this one. Like, good. Gra- Again, I. 
the director's cut cover is kind of ugly. Like it's this green. Oh, sure, sure. Thing and you're just so I mean and you know say what you will but I think we definitely judge books by covers I know for a fact that I do when it comes to books and DVDs and um, luckily this one is only ten bucks right now for the director's cut um, on various platforms so again seek do it you out see it for I watched it anywhere uh, if we do we'll add it in the show notes but I can just tell you guys right now that it's on Amazon it's on the Xbox store the one wherever you let me watch it it is there for nine bucks I think the Blu-ray for the director's cut is nine bucks yeah um, okay so but I'm well, telling you you're not gonna regret it if you have to buy it you won't you won't regret oh, it. oh goodness yeah no I'm I am planning on buying this one on Blu-ray for sure it's it's worth it it's excellent. Yeah. It's excellent. Do you, do, you, do you feel like you've, you've gushed to your heart's content? I, is, is there no yeah, more steam left I've, in you? I think I've gushed. I think I've gushed. I, I, I hope the, Need a cigarette. the, the <laughs> little audience that we have, that if I convince just a couple yeah. of you to go watch this movie, you should go watch this movie. Um, yeah, I, I guess there, there's a – I don't know about you, but I, I spent a long time thinking about what movie do I want to do. Do I want to do this one? Do I want to do this one? Do I want to do that one? Maybe this one. Mm-hmm. I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But this is the movie for the moment for me right now. And so I'm really happy that we got to talk about it. I'm really glad I got to share it with you. So, Yeah, man. Me too. I'm, I'm stoked for people to hear this one. Uh, for now, though, let's hear you pick a number between 1 and 749. Okay. So divide by two and um, square. Carry, carry the H. With the, uh, solve for X. Uh, 471. <laughs> 471 is Mona Weimer, and she was a CG artist at Rise Visual Effects Studio. Mona, let's open you up and see what you got here for some credits. Do, 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 do. Oh, man. Those are some good credits, Mona. Right. I'm, I'm, getting <laughs> like it open. I'm getting it open. It looks like you've had a really good career. Goodness. Uh, you've got the show Dark. Oh, man. Wait a minute. Oh, jeez. The, so, the German Netflix show? I mean, first off, she's got the MCU. Right. Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, Captain Marvel. I see Dumbo. I see Shazam. I see Hellboy for you, the newest one, 2019. <laughs> Which, uh, Stranger not, Things. not a great movie, but not as bad as people made it out to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably the same could be said about Artemis Fowl. Um, Gunpowder <laughs> Milkshake. Ooh, even that title sounds cool. What the heck is that about, I wonder? Um, hmm. So it looks like, yeah, it looks like Mona works at Rise Visual Effects Studio as a CG artist. King's Man's uh, coming up. Where's your credit for Dr. Sleep, girl? When did there you it do is. That? It's, uh... Oh, right after Fast and Furious not. presents Hobbs and Shaw, you worked on yeah. Dr. Sleep. Mona, 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 thank you so much for this. Thank you for working on Dr. Sleep. I'm not sure exactly what you did on this well, flick. I, I think that's worth noting because the, the CG work in this movie is so beautifully subtle. There's a moment when, when Rose the Hat is psychically flying over the earth that is one of the most gorgeous shots I've seen in a long time as the earth is flowing underneath there. It could have been the cheesiest as hell shot. And then she zooms uh-huh. in on this location. I'm sure that's got to be some of what they did. Uh, oh, for sure. It's great work. It's great yeah. work. Uh, Mona, you are from Cologne, Germany. Oh, Hi. I spent good time there. And I see your picture. I Googled you. And you have a Vimeo account. And... Uh, Mona, it's you're a awesome. Very cold you two-hour do morning great there. work. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, Mona, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being on this movie. And I you can't made wait it. to see what else you You helped make done. it awesome. And I'm going to yeah, look up sure. Gunpowder Milkshake just because that's such a great titer. title. Titer. <laughs> titer. It's a good titer. It's a good, it's a great tighter for you. I'm and all gushed out. Up, Words oh. are hard. I know, I know. Gunpowder milkshake, like that's just action thriller. I mean, titles are hard, people, but that's a good secret title. sisterhood of female assassins over the course of a single night fight to stop a cycle of violence while coming to the aid of a mother-daughter assassin duo. That is a description that could be really bad or just amazing. Well, I, I, I will, I'll find out. Ooh, Israeli film? Is it? Is it? Is it a Hebrew language? Naval Papushado is the director. So let's Karen, see Karen Gillan is Germany the main well. character. All right, I, you oh, know what? Really? Tell you what. Tell you what. Keep let's let's remind me. I don't, sometimes I like committing to movies that I have no idea if they're going to be good. I'll watch that. We'll watch that. And I'll let yeah. you know. We'll yeah, commit. Right. We'll uh, we will uh, commit to Gunpowder Milkshake. Uh, yeah. The the Tidal premiere low. date, which is July. Yep. So I'm there. We uh, somebody hold us to that if we miss it. Yeah. That'll be my test to you to see if you're actually paying attention, people. Sounds great. Sounds uh, great. And now the last but not least, Brendan, the number one through three, please. It's time for one. you to say something nice. One. I choose oh, Uno. Man. This one hurts. <laughs> oh, no. Because Ambrosia is so good. Oh, I know. It is so three good. Built, I like his it stuff. It is so good. Ambrosia is like another example. So, okay, he doesn't hate Ambrosia. And it's not I about like hitting Imbrug, either. Quite a lot. Imbruge is amazing. We'll probably gush about that at some point. But three billboards, Brendan. Outside what have you got Missouri. to say about three? Say something nice yeah. about three billboards outside Evan, Missouri. Okay. <sighs> something nice. Directed I by Martin McDonough. Martin McDonough. Uh, also directed in Bruges. He's done some other stuff. Seven Cycle Seven Psychopaths. Yep. Yeah. Like the first All short right. he has, like he won the Oscar for. So... Oh, yeah, this was the best picture that year, wasn't it? The uh, the, the well, best uh, best live action short at the Oscars. It won. It was this I, one I with mean, him I and mean the... three billboards. Was best so, picture. what's her bucket? One, Francis McDermott, who just won the Oscar again for Nomadland, something that looks that also was... aggressively fine. I aggressive. Thought it, I thought it looked good just because. I mean, I'll watch but, it just for the cinematography. Yeah, I'll watch it for the poster. Did you ever watch... Uh, see, I'm changing the subject to avoid saying something good about Three Billboards. Um, did Maybe you ever watch think, yeah. uh, Into the Wild, Sean Penn and... Uh, yes, yeah. yes. The, 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 it was the two lens movie. There was yeah. like two lenses available for that movie. There, I didn't know that. There, there are not no, enough movies. Joke. America is gorgeous. And yes. not enough movies really just revel in that. I don't think it, people get out of their hometowns and see how gorgeous America is. That's a movie that was gorgeous, and Nomadland, just watching the trailers, the made me think, man, America's gorgeous. So, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. So, Martin... Which, by the way, is currently listed as IMDb's number 153 greatest movies of all time. Oh, good. Martin, I think you very <laughs> astutely and accurately and, and knowingly diagnosed the ills of America. Is that it? That's it. Oh, oh. I mean, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's my nice thing. You were very astute in a diagnosing the ills of America. I was going to say kudos for picking Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson, because Lord knows both of those dudes are great, great actors. actors. Um, yeah. But Next time I'm, when you make a movie, if you could just say something about the ills of America, just, just have any reflection about it at all, that'd be great. 
But good job on the diagnosis. Having an ending. You know, I I even I'm okay with open endings, but but yeah. Too open, one might say. Oh, he's actually in pre-production on his next movie. Okay, thank goodness. Two and a half hours Um, of just reveling in the ills of America, and then nothing. Yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. If you love this movie, will you just reach out to me? Because I genuinely didn't get this either. And and this is also one that was on my list. Everybody else Um, loves this movie. (laughs) But but they're also wrong, as Bill would say. Who we'll have on in a couple weeks. Um, I will say this, though. Martin's next movie is called Untitled Martin McDonoghue Project. A pair of lifelong friends on a remote Irish island find themselves at an awkward time in the relationship when one of them no longer wants to be friends. And the only two people in the cast are Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, good Lord, I'm there. Yeah, I mean, I, I and Bruges is just so, so good. good. And, well, and I'm, Brendan yeah. Gleeson. I've never seen Calvary. I'm oh. sorry. I know, I'm sorry. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So this guy here in front of me was supposed to come visit me in a couple weeks and we're going to catch up on all these movies that we both tell each other we haven't seen. (laughs) I've got Calvary. Uh, When you ever make it up here, we'll watch that one. Oh, yeah. I'll make it up there this year for sure. Just uh, a little Oliver Jones has surgery on Tuesday, folks. Um, By the time you hear this, you will, he will already have had it and be probably in recovery. So we'll follow up then. But um, yeah, little guy's taking away uh, two vacations from us <laughs> for his 10 to 12-week so recovery. Sorry, man. That sucks. That's all Gotta right. take care of family. I totally get it. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and we'll get up there because Monica desperately wants to see Glacier and Yellowstone yep. and Grand Tetons. Like, I get that once a week. That Grand Tetons? Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, well, that was, that well, was okay. a thoroughly let, excellent Let me dose. agree with you yeah. on your nice thing. The cast of this movie is excellent. Every character is great. So, but moving on. What have you been watching? We haven't done this. It's been a couple months. You must have a oh list. Oh my gosh! Here. Yeah, geez. There's, there's, um, you know, you and I have both agreed to try to watch at least one third of all of the movies that Professor recommended in his podcast. Which, again, you can check out the, the show notes on so the podcast. So glad you mentioned site. that. Yeah. So, um, I have. I went through all of those movies and I marked them with a heart on my uh, to watch on my Xfinity. So as they become free to watch, I will uh, tune into them. A lot of them are rent. One of the ones that wasn't there before, uh, I believe it's called Julia. Uh, that one is now there. So I think it's because we said something on this show because that must was be. not available before. It must be that reason. Must be. It, it must be that. Um, but I watched and I've started to watch BoJack Horseman based upon Professor's recommendation. Nice. And nice. holy crap, is it funny as hell? Oh my gosh, is it funny as hell? You know, I've been looking for a new show to start. Maybe that's what I got to start this week. Yeah, wildly inappropriate. I've only seen the first uh, four, but uh, I saw the first four episodes myself, and I enjoyed them. They were very good. Okay, got distracted by other stuff. Excellent. Yeah, man. Um, it's it's so fast with a lot of the jokes. Like, I think I think for those of us who just love Arrested Development as much as you and I do, um, it it fills that that fix a little bit. Um, it's Gob interesting to see what Jesse did after Breaking Bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> a horse named Gob is what the show could have been called. <laughs> um, so, so, so I've been watching that show. Uh, I'm still. So I just hit season 23 of The Simpsons, and nice, I gotta tell you guys, season 22 was great. 22. Like, okay. All right. 22. I think I'm, I'm. I'm. I might either. Either I'll do a video essay on this someday, or I'll maybe I'll do like, 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 like an ebook or something. Like a, there, I have so many thoughts about The Simpsons here because today 
today Rolling Stones did a top 100 sitcoms of all time, and The Simpsons were number one. Yeah. Um, and they've been renewed for two more seasons, and there's all this controversy with Apu and stuff that everybody has to talk about. But I'm going from it from the perspective of I wasn't allowed to watch it, so now I'm watching it, and it's a good way to wind down for the night. So I'm on. I just started season 23. I guess I'll start tonight because last night was season 22's ender, which is Edna Krabappel and Ned um, getting together. But then, like, I didn't know this. Like, at the time, they um, they left that to the audience to vote. Yeah, yeah I do remember that. I remember um, that occurring. See, I've seen so yeah. many sporadic episodes, and you recommend me watching some of these later episodes, and I find that I've seen way more than I thought I have. So there's... Because um, I saw that season one. 22's. Yeah. So, okay, so there's that one. The one right before it, it's either the one directly before or the one or two before it is called 500 keys. Okay. That might be my, one of my favorite, like top five census episodes. It was very funny. Keys. Okay. Um, right before that was Homer Scissorhands, which I saw Edward Scissorhands for the first time this Christmas. And I loved, loved, loved it. So that was great. Um, there's one where Lisa becomes a magician. That was really cute. What else was there? Uh, the angry dad, the movie one, um, this one did about <laughs> did uh, you read the New Yorker interview for, with John Schwartzwelder? No, but I have it saved, so it's I definitely great. will be reading it. John, okay, for the record, John Schwartzwelder is the reason Simpsons is today what it is. He is the writer, and he is notoriously reclusive. And he has given one interview this last week in <laughs> the you know forty years since the Simpsons started thirty plus years. Yeah, 30 plus years. Goodness. And there's one other writer, too, who I read about. So I read one, one of the books that I read was called Give and Take by Adam Grant. I read probably like eight books since we last talked. Um, and the, in this book, one of the chapters is dedicated to this guy on The Simpsons who's only credited like a small handful of times. But like he was the one who created the word meh. And so was Josh Schwartzwelder, wasn't it? Oh, was it him? I thought that like, they talk about it in the interview. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. Um, they do talk Grant. about it. I will look this up real quick. John, John Schwartzwelder uh, has a bunch of comedy novels that I'm desperately self George Meyer. George, George Meyer. Okay, maybe that. Maybe he contributed what... to 300 plus episodes of The Simpsons. He only got credit on 12, but huh. he's known for being such a giver with jokes and for giving uh, great Let's notes and free notes. Them. Yeah, and yeah, they would just That's take great. his notes, and he wouldn't take credit for like all the stuff that he came up with. Like he was just a, he's just a natural giver. He's still alive. Didn't mean to make it sound like he was dead, um, but. The guy who did uh, 500 Keys was a writer that came around season 11, and I'm finding that the episodes that he writes tend to be really quite good. Um, the 500 Keys, Keys one has so many good jokes, and it's weird saying this, but like sometimes you just... Like The Simpsons, so I think maybe it was season 17 through 21. Like maybe, maybe a couple of laughs. And then in the Homer Scissorhands and 500 Keys, like I laughed like 50 times. Like both of those episodes back to back. So season 22, episode 20, and season 22, episode 21. Watch those two episodes, everybody. So right. funny. Right. Um, and I will continue to update on my Simpsons journey. I have now 11 seasons to go. And That's I'm, so I'm crazy. enjoying You're at 22 it. I'm really enjoying it. Ago. <laughs> so I think you struggle really enjoying something. that. Yeah, following writers is makes a difference. Like people, it's the it the, the wizard behind the curtain. One of the best pieces of advice is when I started reading comic books: is follow writers, don't follow characters, and that's the way to go. So I think that's great. Know who wrote what you're watching. It makes a difference. Absolutely. There's a uh, the guy who wrote Why the Last Man and 
Brian Vaughn. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn, yeah. His uh, uh, Saga, thank you. That's what it was. Saga, saga was the show. Have, have so you read Saga? I, uh, I've read the first three issues so far. Um, oh, I've got a bunch of sagas in my closet. I never finished it. I need Ooh. to go back and get the rest of them. Okay. Um, I love Saga. I enjoyed most of Why the Last Man. I will say this. Brian K. Vaughn is like a naturally gifted um, screenwriter. He wrote a lot he of the, the best called... Lost episodes. Oh, that's a good point. I forgot that he was a writer on Lost. Yeah. I, I've got um, a letter published in, in Saga. I wrote <laughs> What? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, he, dude. He, he wrote a... So my grandfather died like two days before an issue where one of the grandfathers of the... Spoiler, sorry. A character dies in the story. And yeah. So I wrote him. Wow. Saying thanks. That's awesome, man. Um, so I would write Brian K. Vaughn's script Roundtable is one of the best unproduced screenplays I've ever read. And I read it once every like three years just to get motivated again. Send me um, a copy of that. I want to see that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely will. Um, so that's, that's a great example of following the writer. Cause there, are, I mean, Alex and Edward from, I know it sounds like a twilight reference, but no, Alex, oh, gosh, I don't know what their names. These two dudes wrote for uh lost and then they got once upon a time on abc like i tend to follow them they're very talented um who did you uh murph had me watch what did that what was that movie he had us watch from his episode he said we had to, he would come back to do um oh uh i want to say bad time with the el royale one, bad time el royale so i watched that one as well and uh that movie. was drew goddard and i follow him as drew well because he is a very very awesome writer and just a very humble nice dude as well so, yeah, I think I would almost suggest that to you guys, folks listening, just to look at the writer sometimes on IMDb, see what else they did. Like, chances are pretty high you're going to yeah. like the other stuff that they've done. And, so. and keep in mind, too, that a lot of times great writers have their directors sabotage their scripts. So if there's something you don't like in that list, give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, so, I, so, I, so, I watched, so I watched a couple of movies. I've been watching The Simpsons. and watching Parks and Rec with the wife. Um, I read, I read one of the, I read a Chip Gaines book called No Pain No Gains. Uh, I've read Beyond Order: The Twelve More Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, and I read what I really want to talk to you guys about next week is this book called We Don't Need Roads: The Making of the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh, um, so we will. We'll Do you like Back to the Future? Ah, oh, oh god, I just gave it away, didn't I? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All Have right, you Back seen to the that Future's movie? next. All right, yeah, yeah. Okay, like it's the greatest film of all time, best movie ever made, hands Who's down. It? It's, Back it's to easy. The future. I think I've heard of it. <laughs> it's uh, the woodsman from uh, Over the Garden Wall, <laughs> and that guy from Spin City. Oh, I forgot he's in Over the Garden Wall, and the guy from Spin City. Yep, that's right. That's right. Good, good, um, good, good, good. And that would that that'll be the last thing I say is that I read that book, and then today. Um, I don't know if I talked about this before. I think it's illegal, but I'll say it anyway. I uh, took oh, all three Lord of the took all three Lord of the Rings extended editions, ripped them onto my computer, threw them all through Premiere, and finally edited them to be one cohesive ten hour and fifty four minute movie. Today, so, okay. Did... When you say that, does that just mean you plop the credits out? No, it means that I crossfaded and mixed the music and transitioned oh. everything so that it never wow. fades to black. It just stays one movie. Um, I just did that again today with Back to the Future. I did all three movies and it's a five hour, 15 minute masterpiece. <laughs> nice. 
although I will, I'll just say with three, like there is no real good way to cut in without having some credits. So I was like, ah, some credits. I'll be, for, I'll forgive myself because I'm not selling this or giving it away or anything. But um, it it is fun. It's a fun, dumb thing to do. I know Steven Soderbergh does it a lot. Like he actually edits other people's movies, like just for his own. I think it's fun a fun exercise. I, yeah, I watched so, almost the entirety of his uh, his black and white edit of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, okay. <laughs> he took he took Raiders of the Lost Ark. I say edit. He just took the color out and he slapped on the score from uh, the Social Network on top of it, and it. Oh god! Great. <laughs> it's freaking great. Watch the hell out of that movie. You think a million dollars is cool, Indy? Try a billion dollars. (laughs) Speaking of which, in in Dr. Sleep, one of the IMDb trivia things, let's let you into our secret and where we get cool facts about movies. Of course. Um, The the movie that the True Knot recruits one of the girls from in the book is Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the director changed it to be Casablanca because that's his favorite movie. And... I would, uh, incidentally, Brendan Quibido's two favorite movies of all time are Raiders of the Lost Ark and Casablanca. So this movie was meant to be. <laughs> oh, Mike, I, I, I tweeted at you, buddy. Mike Flanagan, if you hear this, please come on our show. <laughs> please. Uh, we love you. You're and other great. So other than all of that, I am currently reading um, a book called uh, Generations, and it is in a series of Firefly uh, shootout novels like it's just it's just hmm. its own separate thing that happens in what would have been it would have been a season two what would have been a second movie kind of a thing and i'm really enjoying the hell out of it i love firefly Dude. it's giving me a great firefly fix so firefly generations i highly recommend that one hmm. and that is pretty much everything i'm consuming what about you um i i gotta be honest i've, I've done a lot of comfort food tv which is stuff you've seen a hundred times i mean simpsons a lot of Bob's burgers um, Bob's Burgers. Do you have Seinfeld. a favorite Bob's Burgers? I the first episode of Bob's Burgers I ever saw was where Tina falls in love with a cow who has the heart shaped butt. <laughs> <laughs> I still have a soft spot for that episode. There's an episode in this most recent season where the their parents sell their gigantic stuffed woolly mammoth that is just primo. That's good stuff. Oh man. The first uh, one I ever saw was Tina being taught to drive in the parking lot, and she hits that uh, the car. <laughs> uh, Tina for the love of God! So yeah, okay, that's good comfort food, man. The, the episode I think uh, another favorite has got to be where uh, where the sister Gail paints all the uh, the animals' buttholes for the art show. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Good stuff. Okay, so again, comfort food. This has been kind of stressful. Now, you know, sometimes you need that, but sometimes you also got to challenge yourself. And I, and I always look forward to the podcast motivating me to watch some stuff. Yes. Um, so, gosh. some a lot. You know, this has been a year where pretty much all animation has gone direct to streaming. So I, I saw Raya: The Last Dragon because my goddaughter accidentally bought it when their parents weren't looking. Um, and how is it? It's gorgeous. So, okay, so I saw that, and I saw Soul, and I feel about the same way that if they came out 10 years ago, I'd say they were masterpieces, but I'm kind of weary of the same... This is going to be an unpopular opinion. I feel like Disney and Pixar is kind of stuck in a bit of a rut, where it's totally good writing, it's totally good filmmaking, and yet I feel like I've seen it before, despite the fact that it's a totally original gimmick. (laughs) I think Soul hit me in a different way just because I wasn't expecting the false ending where, spoilers for Soul, where he he gets to the gig 
and it's not satisfactory. I think credit I to Pixar in my for reversal all the time. I I loved that. I I I still think Monsters University is. I'm just shocked and amazed and so thrilled that a movie for children has the message that follow your dreams, except you may not be good at them, and that's okay. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so not to crap on Pixar, not to crap on Disney, because they're gorgeous movies, they're well-made. Maybe maybe I needed to see them in theaters, I don't know. But it's all in stark contrast to the movie you already brought up once. So we finished watching The Mitchells vs. Machines a couple days ago on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And holy crap, I have not <laughs> seen a work of animation that was so consistently surprising, hysterical... And equally moving as this movie. Mm-hmm. Sony Animation, under the guidance of Phil Lord and, and Miller. Chris Miller, yeah. Just let them make any animated movie you want. This is the same. So the director of The Mitchells vs. Machines is the, the, the guy, the showrunner from Gravity Falls, and which is a great kids show amazing show yeah Uh, it's so this movie has so much heart it's consistently surprising but but it what it does it's the same way i felt about spider-man into the spider-verse which is right there with potentially the best movie the last decade in my mind Mm -hmm, sure it it's animation that is pushing the bounds of so 3d animation at this point has not done anything new in about a decade at this point, you're just increasing the the texture quality and the lighting effects, which is great and it makes beautiful movies. But it's 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 tweaking at the periphery of what animation can do. This movie, this movie is one of those movies like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse that ten years from now, fifteen years from now, if you're going to animation, you're going to be studying and talking about the things they did and the ideas they put forward and how they. They edited it and cut and combined mediums and all of these wonderful things. It's a treat. You will love it. Awesome. I can't wait to check it out. Um, Yeah. We, uh, well, we also went to the theater once. I saw nobody. It was a movie. And, uh, I watched Godzilla versus Kong with my son, which was exactly what I wanted it to be. It's two monsters (laughs) hitting each other. It's, It's great. So reading, um, let's see what I'm right now. I'm reading. Uh, I got a bunch of books for Christmas and I, like a bunch, and I've been working through them. Right now, I'm on um, Station Eleven. So, one of my wife's best friends, who is uh, the the godmother of our youngest child, uh, basically gives my wife a random book recommendation that she thinks that I have not read, and then my wife buys it for me for Christmas. It's it's been a tradition for several years now, and they're always what a great. Tradition. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I dude. If you ever find somebody who will recommend books that you don't think of, great. I uh, if you ever somebody needs, wants to buy you a gift and you don't know what to tell them, tell them to buy you their favorite book. You'll never be disappointed. Yeah, that's like I try to never. I don't think I've ever turned down a book that someone has given me like as a gift. Like yeah. I've read some weird crap that way, but it's also like, uh, you're gonna get you're some crap right. that way. You're gonna get some crap that way, but you're gonna get some treats. Luckily, this person has some very good literary taste. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I finished uh, Mike Mignola's Hellboy series, like BPRD. It, the whole universe wrapped up. I, the, if you have ever 
any interest in dabbling into comics or graphic novels, the fact that you can read an entire universe of a story that took 30 years, this is the perfect thing. You Like, DC Comics is too much. You can't read all that. Marvel Comics, you can't read all that. You can have a fully fleshed out world of the same depth as those universes with a beginning, middle, and end. And it's delicious. It's great. Wow. It's, it's, How many issues is that? It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's 40 volumes, 50 volumes. Holy If broken up into individual. You can buy them all in omnibuses now, which is a lot easier way to digest it. Thanks, um, Costco. Yeah. yeah I, most libraries have them. But, uh, but still, it's, it's a universe as fleshed out as DC Comics and Marvel Comics, but with a beginning, middle, and end. And to me, the idea of having an end makes everything better. Yeah, so, man. Yeah, that's. And that's, weren't you reading Redwall to your daughter? Is that right? We haven't started it. It's okay. That's, I haven't that's sitting right next to the to to Station Eleven, which you gave me a thumbs up. I realize people can't see you doing that. Oh, Have that's you read right. That? <laughs> Maybe at ten thousand listens, we'll do uh, we'll do a video one. Um, yes, I have read Station Eleven. Um, Jay, who will be on later, um, he recommended that book, and I loved it. Um, and it's currently being adapted into a TV series right now. I didn't know that, but. Yes, uh, her next book, The Glass Hotel, was hot trash. I didn't finish it. So, oh, um, that's a terrible thing to say on a show about positivity. But that was I, a book I really just, I flat gave up on. It was not good. Uh, well, so to be negative, I was a little scared when I started it because the last time I read a book with such gorgeous prose as Station Eleven, it turned out that the writer had no idea how to write a plot or characters. And, yeah, that does happen and I was worried that was yeah. going to happen here, but it did not. <laughs> I, think I do say that. that I find the boring, mundane character stuff more compelling than the sci-fi stuff in this. Yes, it's it's one of those you don't have to reinvent the wheel because the tropes exist. As long as you take a couple of those tropes and just run in a different direction with them, you're good to go. So the whole end of the world thing, it it felt for, like I, I read that book uh, February of last year. Mm-hmm. And so as how far are you into it? A halfway. Okay, so like the, the 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 virus and the things that break out, like I was reading that right around the time of COVID. So I was oh, like, nice, "Oh, nice. here we go!" <laughs> yeah, and it borrows a lot from the stand, which is I, uh, Stephen King's best book, easily. Which I, I love got that book. I just I just bought that on audiobook, so all forty did hours. Did you get the unabridged one? Me. I did. Yes. It's okay. Like forty hours yeah. long. Yeah, it's uh, it's a heck of I I um I power washed all the carpets in the house to that book going on in my ears. The stand, the stand. or or yeah. yeah. So Station yeah. Eleven, my one criticism, mm-hmm. just a recommendation for anybody writing out there, do not introduce 30 characters in two pages while they're training for a play so they also have sub Do you remember this part of the book where... Oh, of course I do. Yeah, exactly how it like, opens, yeah. It's like 30 characters in Chapter 3, but they're, training for, they're practicing for a play, so you're getting their real names and their stage names... And the instrument they're playing, because they're sometimes known by their instrument name. That's right. The amount of time I've had to turn back to that three pages and reread it to figure out who on earth is talking in this chapter eight chapters later. Yeah, don't do that. Find a better way to introduce your characters. Yeah. Definitely a lesson for me to learn. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, But that's it. This has been a long one, but I have enjoyed gushing with you, man. Oh, you think this one's long? Wait till I'm a a crying, tearful mess next week, and we're all going to lose our crap for four hours of gushing about Back to the Future. Can't wait. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, Welcome to to Season 2. We got some great guests. Some good stuff. Yeah, 
Got some new guests, got some old guests. We're looking forward to uh, catching up with all of you. So we'll catch y'all uh, in the next one. Bye, guys.